Amity between the people holds the key to sound state-to-state -state relations. In a world increasingly roiled by uncertainty and turmoil, this ancient Chinese saying serves as a wake-up call for us to develop stronger people-to-people -people exchanges and bonds across the world. And of course, many ordinary men and women have long been working to this end. One of the most important things is respect. Among them is but, Ellen McInnes, you know, a passionate advocate of US-China friendship and a historian rediscovering are. how people from and the two countries interacted China's in the past. Everyone in Kuliang was different. They were people from different countries. And they got together and they worked hard to have a harmonious life together. Their stories inspire people to think about other people, not just themselves. And I think it's a boring world if all we're thinking about is just ourselves. For almost 10 years, Ellen McInnes from the United States has delved into the history of Kuliang, a mountainous summer retreat in southeast China's Fujian province, where foreign residents and local Chinese developed close and profound bonds between the late 19th century and the first half of the 20th century. Thanks to her efforts, the stories of Kuliang have become known by an increasing number of people from both China and the United States who are inspired to pass down and further enhance such historical friendship. I'm writing a book about all the great stories from Kulian about friendship and what life was like. I hope that I can reach more people, especially young people, and inspire them to be friends, to make the world a better place. But what are the Kuliang stories? And why do they matter? Join us in this edition of Footprints to find out. A tea lover, a bagpipe player. Ellen McInnes in her 70s lives in retirement with her husband Peter in the US state of Rhode Island. I've always liked China. Ellen uh, told me about the report. The couple moved back to the United States in 2017 after three decades of uh, living and working in China. But their bonds with the Asian nation didn't back. end there. <laughs> in fact, their ties with the country have spanned three generations and have withstood the test of war and many other hardships. In 1940, Peter's father, Donald, who was called Don by his family, came to teach at a middle school known as the Anglo-Chinese College in Fujian province. Since China had been invaded by Japanese forces at the time, Donald's journey to China was dangerous. The Japanese imposed a blockade on the coastline of Fujian province. His ship couldn't dock in the harbour of Fuzhou, which is also the provincial capital. Donald had to make a detour and sneak into the country. Around midnight, the ship's captain pulled into a river near Ningde and all of the passengers disembarked. Don started walking to Fuzhou from Ningde and that was about maybe seven days overland. On the way, he got really, really sick from diarrhea. And so a friend that he had made on the journey arranged for him to be carried on a stretcher until they got to Fuzhou. Fortunately, Dr. Harold Brewster was in Fuzhou and took Donald in and nursed him back to health. 
As the city was under Japanese bombardment, the Anglo-Chinese college, where Donald was going to teach, moved to the countryside to evade the violence. So Donald went up the Min River, which flows through the city of Fuzhou to a rural area called Yangkou, where the school was in refuge. He taught there for a year. It was very difficult, but he loved it. You know, he was a young man. He liked the challenge. It was exciting for him. He liked to teach, and he fell in love with his students. And that is the beginning of his love for China. According to Donald's son, Peter, it's the common experience in the face of challenges and dangers that had made bonds close and strong. He was living at the school along with his students. They studied together. They faced wartime conditions together. Sometimes the school ran out of rice, and students had to go buy rice in northern China. Facing hardships like that built the bonds of their friendship. Those experiences were deep, and stayed with my father his whole life. His love of China began with those relationships. While in Fujian Province, Donald learned some of the local dialect. After a one-year stint in China, Donald went back to the United States to finish his college education. After the Pearl Harbor attack by Japan in December 1941, war the United States declared war on Japan. Existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. China and the U.S. became allies in World War II. It was after that historic event that Donald enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Force and came to China again. As he could speak the local dialect of Fujian Province, he was stationed to work behind enemy lines in Xiamen, a city in the south of the province occupied by the Japanese forces. He gathered intelligence for his daily reports, and he got them from a team of Chinese who were working with him. His job was to see what the Japanese were doing in Xiamen, and he'd radio his reports back to the Flying Tigers in Yunnan, and he'd tell the Flying Tigers where to go. The Flying Tigers refers to a group of U.S. fighter pilots based in southwest China's Yunnan province. They were helping defend China against Japanese invaders during World War II. By working behind enemy lines, Donald faced life and death challenges. The guy before him had died. The Japanese had discovered who he was and executed him. But even knowing that he was in danger, Don maintained his optimism, and he survived the war with the help of his Chinese friends. After World War II ended, Donald McInnes went back to the United States and got married. Then, in 1947, he went back to Fuzhou with his wife because he loved the city so much. This time he worked at Fujian Christian University. One year later, their son Peter was born in China. He worked as an English professor. He liked to teach athletics. So he did that, and he did English teaching. And his wife, Helen, Peter's mom, taught music. So they were both busy. After Peter was born in May of 1948, when school let out, 
they went up to Kuliang. Kuliang refers to a mountainous area in the suburb of Fuzhou, about 13 kilometers from the downtown area. With an elevation of about 800 meters, it has been serving as a summer retreat for both local and foreign residents since the late 19th century. Like many other foreigners, Donald McInnes and his wife loved spending summers in Kuliang. They bought a ruined house there and planned to rebuild it. But in 1949, the couple and their children left Fuzhou. In the ensuing two decades, the couple never returned to the Chinese mainland, as the United States and the People's Republic of China were locked in Cold War animosity. People-to-people -people exchanges only resumed gradually after the ice-breaking visit of late US President Richard Nixon to Beijing in February 1972. Two years later, Donald McInnes and his wife returned to the Chinese mainland for a visit. In 1988, Donald's son Peter and daughter-in-law Ellen, together with his two granddaughters, came to live in the city of Nanjing. At the time, Peter had a job offer in the eastern Chinese city, and he moved his family there. While her husband was working, Ellen was staying home to teach their two daughters Mika and Charlotte. Back then, both Mika and Charlotte were of primary school age. As there was no international school in Nanjing, they had to attend a local primary school. Aileen recalls that her daughters had a hard time initially. It was very difficult. In the beginning, they had someone to go with them to school, and the tutor went with them because they knew nothing. <laughs> Actually, we were glad they could go to a Chinese primary school. We wanted them to learn Chinese, and their teachers were absolutely amazing. That experience is still vivid in the mind of Charlotte. We came in September, and my sister and I learned Chinese at home with a tutor for a few months. And then after Chinese New Year in 1989, we started attending school. So we had had a few months of Chinese lessons, but not nearly enough to understand much. I started second grade. One of the wonderful things, I think, being a kid is that you adapt quickly. It's remarkable how quickly children can adapt to things. Um, and we made friends slowly and, you know, we picked up more and more Chinese. With support from their Chinese friends, the couple and their daughters soon got used to the life in Nanjing. And in 1990, Donald visited them and took the two girls to visit Fuzhou. I remember when we went that trip with my grandfather, we met some of his old colleagues. He was there in the 40s. I can remember how excited and happy he was to be there. He was just so excited and so happy. In Charlotte's memory, her grandfather Donald was a wonderful storyteller. He often told stories of China to her. Donald's love for China was so deep that in his will he asked for part of his ashes to be put into the Min River, which flows through the city of Fuzhou. Donald died in 2005 at the age of 85. To fulfill Donald's will, Aileen and Peter went to Kuliang in 2015, hoping to find the stone cottage that Donald had bought in the late 1940s. When we visited Fuzhou in uh, 2015, it was because Don had asked us to put some of his ashes in the Min River. So that's what we did. And that's when we visited Leon. And that's also when we found out that 
nobody knew anything about Kuleon's history. So that's when I decided to start doing a little bit of research. Curious about the history of Kuliang, Aileen set out to delve into the past. As a first step in her research, she visited Dr. Harold Brewster's daughter Priscilla, who was born in Fuzhou in 1934 and now lives in Rhode Island. Priscilla showed Aileen many old photos and shared the stories she knew about Kuliang with her. Aileen also visited libraries across the United States to search for archives and documents related to Kuliang. At Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania, she found a pamphlet called A Sketch of Kuliang, which included a name list of people owning houses in the Chinese summer retreat. Although the book was of great help to her, oftentimes progress of research is slow. First we found this book, and then we would slowly find people, and I'd get a name, and I'd look the name up on the internet. I'd use Ancestry.com, which is a website that has people's ancestries on it. And I used that website to find people. Sometimes I paid money to look up addresses and phone searches on a website that did that. And they said they'd have information on this person, but then you'd find out that the information was old or they had moved. And it took me a long time to find some people. It took me a year to find the gardeners. On her journey of research, Aileen met Lin Yinan, a university professor based in Shanghai, who is a native of Fuzhou and also interested in the history of Kuliang. In 2016, the two formed an international research team, which includes some students of Lin Yinan. They teamed up to look for archives scattered around the world about the foreign community spending their summers in Kuliang. And they conducted on-site surveys of old buildings in the summer resort. Few historical legacies are left intact in Kuliang. There were 119 buildings erected by foreigners there during its heyday, but only about 30 still stand today. Originally, we just wanted to restore the historical buildings. After a period of time, we found that the story of the people was more important than the buildings. So far, they have found about 8,000 pictures, documents, and other kinds of archives about Kuliang. Most of the materials have been turned into digital formats. Aileen established a website so that people who were looking for the history of Kuliang could find the information they need. Lin Yinan and his students built a database containing information and photos on about 1,000 of the foreigners and local Chinese. In the late 19th and early 20th century, taking photos was a luxury. You would only take a photo on important occasions and with people important to you. Through the database and the AI technology, we have established a complex network of relations among foreigners and locals who had lived in Kuliang. Through our research, we have been able to find out these people or their descendants and help them reunite with each other. So this has a special meaning from the perspective of sociology. In 2012, the city government of Fuzhou established a managerial committee of the Kuliang Resort. The legacies of the international community form a crucial part of the area, 
which stretches for 88 square kilometres. With support from this government agency, Aileen McInnes and Lin Yi Nan have helped build a museum featuring the history and culture of the resort. The local authorities rebuilt a ruined old house in Kuliang and offered it to Aileen, who preferred to make it a museum. What I wanted was a museum. I wanted to share what it was like to live in Kuliang 100 years ago. So I collected old things from 100 years ago for the museum. I was especially thinking about the children who'd visit the museum, the children today. So I found old toys that the children liked to play with 100 years ago. If the children could see these toys from 100 years ago, I thought the children today could understand what life was like then. They have also reconstructed how the locals and foreign residents in Kuliang interacted with one another and what life was really like. Life was really difficult then for everybody. And the foreigners who came actually could have had a much better life at home. They didn't have a fancy life. They didn't have a beautiful life. They got sick too. And in those days, they had cholera, typhoid, bubonic plague, all these terrible diseases. And they got these diseases just like everybody else. But what mattered was that most of the people coming to Kuliang, such as doctors and teachers, had a goal and they were committed to what they were doing. Like a doctor, your goal is to keep the people healthy. Or teachers, their goal was to educate the children. The goal of the local people, well, they built the houses and they also provided food. They grew the food that everybody ate there. And that was their goal. And the foreigners and locals helped and cared for each other. In Kuliang, the foreigners would come to spend summers on the mountain. And if the local people needed help, they would help them. The doctors would come up sometimes and they opened a clinic for the local people and they gave them free medical treatment. The British ladies in particular, although not just the British ladies, had schools for the children. And at some points in time, most of the mountain children on Kuliang could read. Aileen admitted that there did exist misunderstandings and sometimes minor conflicts among the people. For example, quarrels occurred when some locals let their goats chew on the fruit trees of the foreigners. But in general, the relations were good and harmonious, and they settled their differences peacefully. Aileen and Lin both agree that the Kuliang history is relevant today especially in a time of uncertainty and great changes in international relations. Everyone in Kuliang was different. They were people from different countries. And they got together and they worked hard to have a harmonious life together. These wonderful stories of the people in Kuliang, stories about friendship, of caring, stories of people uh, working for peace, stories of people serving the people. These stories are good for the world. That's a really wonderful thing. From doing good things for the world, you can get a real sense of joy. And the beautiful life happens in you. Their stories are inspiring. And they inspire people to think about other people, not just themselves. And I think it's a boring world 
if all we're thinking about is just ourselves. It's not only diplomatic relations that matter for interactions between two countries. I think exchanges among the people are more important. You know, personal friendship doesn't change no matter what happens in the political environment. For example, my friendship with Ellen has not been affected by the ups and downs in the state-to-state -state relations between China and the U.S. Such kinds of friendship are a hallmark of the relations between the foreign and local people in Kuliang some 100 years ago. Through the years, Eileen and Lin Yinan have established a loosely connected group called the Kuliang Families to promote people-to-people -people exchanges between the United States and China. The Kuliang Families is just everyone with a history on Kuliang, and it's a group that formed kind of naturally. We've also invited some other people to join with us in our work, so it's Kuliang Families and Friends. Actually, it's not just American families. It's also Chinese families who lived on Kuliang at the time. In the summer of 2023, some members of the Kuliang families group visited the mountainous resort. Aileen's daughter Charlotte, who grew up in China, was among them. Charlotte is working at the University of Arizona in Tucson, handling educational cooperation between the university and its Chinese partners. In her own way, she is helping with deepening exchanges and understanding between the American and Chinese people. With three decades of experience in China and a fluent speaker of Chinese, Charlotte is another living demonstration of her family profound bonds with the Asian nation. I think all of us, you know, in our own ways, my grandfather and then my parents and, and now me and my sister too, you know, we all kind of forged our own very deep connections and deep feelings for China because of all the time we spent there and all the, all the experiences we had there. For me, specifically, China is a part of me. It's not something that I can really separate. You know, for some people, that can be a confusing thing for them to hear because, like, ethnically, I'm not Chinese, but having spent so much time there and, and living there and, and learning the language and working in the language, it really is a part of who I am. It is part of my identity. It is the deepest part of my soul. Drawing inspiration from the Kuliang stories, Charlotte says she is willing to work to increase mutual understanding between the United States and China. Willingness for developing lasting friendship also comes from the other side. Wu Qing, who was born in 1987, is a local resident of Kuliang. His grandparents interacted with the farmers who once lived there. Their friendship was so profound that Guo's grandparents were entrusted by a U.S. friend called H.A. Thompson to take care of his house in Kuliang when he went back to the United States in the 1950s. I have asked many old local residents in Kuliang about the relations between Chinese and foreigners. They told me that the relationship was harmonious and cordial. Chinese children attended schools founded by the foreigners, and Chinese patients received free-of-charge treatments from foreign doctors.
For their part, the local residents provided the foreigners with many life necessities, such as vegetables. So, the relationship was very good. But for more than five decades, the connections between the families of War and Thompson were cut after the American family returned to the United States in the 1950s. Knowing of such history, Gore has re-established connections with the descendants of the American family in recent years. More than a hundred years ago, my ancestors formed a good relationship with foreigners. I, as a young person living in the 21st century, can and should continue this relationship and interact with people from other countries based on equality and mutual respect. Whenever foreigners visit Kuliang, I greet them with warmth and friendship. As friends, we chat, enjoy the views, have a cup of tea or coffee in Kuliang. Guo met with Eileen in 2020, and they stayed in touch ever since. In the summer of 2023, with Guo's help, Eileen finally located and stood on the spot where the house of her father-in-law once stood. But Aileen's exploration into the history of Kuliang didn't end there. While enjoying her retirement days in Providence, Rhode Island, she's busy with writing a book about Kuliang. She hopes younger generations can learn about the history of Kuliang and continue the traditional friendship between the American and Chinese people. I'm writing a book about all the great stories from Kuliang about friendship and what life was like. I hope it'll be done by next fall. And I hope that I can reach more people, especially young people, and inspire them to be friends, to make the world a better place. With that, we conclude this edition of Footprints. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Jones. If you're interested in hearing more about the lives of ordinary but incredible people in China, follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. Just key in Footprints and you can find more stories anytime, anywhere. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.